Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. All right. Welcome back to another thrilling and captivating episode of UAP, the Unide- Unidentified Alien Podcast. And I still can't say it. We're gonna I still can't say it. <laughs> One day I'm going to be able to say the name without stuttering it, but that's okay. Nevertheless, we are here. It's Stephen Diener, Karen Curtis over there. And this is, I'm just going to tell you right off the bat, before Karen goes into her patented uh, tidbits, before we go into the subject material. Uh, it's, it's, it's patent pending. Yes, it is. That's true. This is a special two-part series that we're doing, and the reason being because, well, number one, there's so much to talk about when it comes to what we teased last week in the ancient alien realm. Not to get too, you know, copycat when it comes to some of the things that you've seen on the show, but we do want to cover a little bit differently and anything that you've seen before when it comes to so many different weird things, ancient alien aspects, and how it relates to today. And with it being that there's so much, and also with it being this is episode number nine, Karen, and next week that means it's episode number ten. Can you believe it already? Unreal. So I mean, this is since the government came out recently and basically said UFOs and aliens are real. That, yes. And so I went, okay, maybe there is something to this. And Stephen Diener's been all over this topic since he was, you know. <laughs> Probably a teenager, I guess. Yeah. yeah so... It, I went to him because I knew he knew what was going on. I said, let's uh, group together and try to figure out what's really going on. So when you hear Puma Punku and you hear Gobekli Tebe, you might think, oh, I already know about this because I watch Ancient Aliens. No. uh." No, this is very different. And it's going to be different for the next couple episodes because this is part one. So part one is episode nine of UAP. And then our special anniversary episode 10 next week will finish off this Ancient Alien series, which will be part two. So what is 10th anniversary? Wood, tin? paper uh, I'm going to go with flowers. I don't know. I feel like flowers always work for an anniversary. But So I will let you uh, lead the way, Karen. What do we have here first? Because there's so much to get to. There is so much to get to. And, you know, a lot of the things we're going to talk about today were actually constructed, you know, thousands of years before Christ, right? BC. Right? Yeah. And do you know when the wheel was invented? Uh, 1974. <laughs> Am I off on that? The 1974 <laughs> Tempest came with real wheel positive traction. It's a trick question. No. Uh, 4th century BC. Now, they've also changed that. BC before Christ has now become B- before, before common era. Right. BCE. But we, we like the old school way. Yeah. Before Christ. The whole calendar is based on the big guy. <laughs> yeah. 
BC and AC, but nevertheless, that is something that's true. So you're going back, you know, obviously a few thousand years of when the, the wheel was invented. Well, the point is that, okay, it was invented 4th century BC, but this other stuff was built amazingly without the wheel? Right. So it kind of makes you wonder by stuff we mean, and we're going to get to it in the two-part series, the pyramids, Stonehenge, Easter Island, how they all relate, and all these other things that we're going to talk about here today too, like Puma Punku. And we mentioned it briefly last week. So let's go ahead and dive into it, as they say, because it's it's so fast, and all this stuff is fascinating. Everything we've covered is fascinating. Like you said, the reason we got into it is because of the the government's, I guess you can say... uh, reveal that yes we don't uh-huh. know what these things are but they are real so it begs the question well if they're real how long have they been here and is it possible that they did help people in ancient times to to make things like Puma Punku that has the, these these perfect straight lines and the math is perfect and it's math that we still have trouble calculating today and how these right. things were built yeah so that's the part that always gets me about these ancient you know structures is the, these these things are perfectly when you look at mathematically physics wise they're perfect how do you do that you can't even get thousands a of years ago piece of paper in between some of these seams and what's under the oceans we don't even know maybe there were other civilizations more advanced than us that were on earth way before us because you have what gobekli tebe is like eleven thousand bc right uh and then you've got puma punku which is like between 300 and a thousand um, AD is that correct? Yes. Yeah, yeah. No, so, that was prior to the Inca Empire. That's right. Which is three hundred to a thousand. Pumapuku was before that with the Tiwanaku. Which is amazing to think about again. Which is the ancient times. How advanced these civilizations were, and the question is, how? Maybe they were just really smart. Maybe they figured things out for themselves. But I mean, it does it does beg the question. So no, nah, I think they had help. I do. Now Stephen has gelled and moosed his hair. It's standing straight up. That's right. And he's wearing a chunk of turquoise on a leather strap as a choker <laughs> around his neck. And here he is. Below the plateau oh. where the H blocks are located no, are the Georgia steps Tup- and walls yes. marking the edges of the Puma Punku Mound. Now I can truly see the scale of the site. Okay, so why, yeah, Georgios uh, Sukalos, I love him. He's on Ancient Aliens. We had and to give a little nod to him when we were talking about Ancient Aliens, so. We did. I was going to send Stephen down to Bolivia to check out Pumapunku, <laughs> but um, he didn't have his passport, so I sent Giorgio down for us to right. get the audio down there. Uh, so, of course, uh, that is not Stephen. And um, Pumapunku is the name of that large temple complex that's located near Tiwanaku in Bolivia, and it is part of a larger archaeological site known as Oh my gosh, Tiahu Kanukjunu. <laughs> I'll give that one to you. That's Thank fine. You. Because you know why I'll give it to you? Because you tried. So I'll get. <laughs> Pat, may I buy a vowel? That's right. So the temple's origin is a mystery and it's based on carbon dating, which is what they do to figure right. out how old the rocks are. Uh, and archaeologists believe that the complex may have been built by the Tiwanaku Empire one of the most important civilizations prior to the Incas. Right, and it's, you know, again, amazing. And we'll have all these uh, photos. If you're not familiar with the structure itself, you can just go to 850wftl.com, search for the UAP blog, where we have all of the previous podcasts as well. If you've missed any of the podcasts, all the previous episodes are on there, one through eight. Um, and we're also going to have on there pictures of some of these structures that we're talking about. Supporting the images on everything. By the way, right. so last week we told you about the the quartz that these rocks that they make up Stonehenge. They're like ninety nine 
90% of this crystal quartz that does, is indestructible. Well, Tiwanaku and Pumapunku, their stonework is what makes it so intriguing. Right. Again, because you, you're talking about stuff that it was architecture that wasn't figured out until at least modern times, thousands of years later. Now, when you're talking about the pyramids and Stonehenge and things like that, yes, they was, it was being done, but how were they doing this? How were they cutting through this rock? How were they moving it? I mean, that's that's been the age-old question but for years. Stonehenge, I guess they got the stones from Wales, and then they moved them like 200 miles on, what, logs? They rolled them along. But the, the stonework was more... I don't know. It wasn't as exact as, as Pumapuku is just right. like incredible stonework. It's like, was the rock molten and they poured it into a mold? Mm. Or did they have some sort of a diamond uh, cutting device? Because Giorgio Succolo says that that's the only way they could get those edges so perfect and so sharp. You can actually cut your finger on one of the edges of these things. It's just so exact. And that's the crazy thing to me when it comes to, you know, people say, oh, well, what's the big deal? They just move some rocks around. Well, first of all, these are thousands of tons each. So again, how are you moving it around? But aside from that, what are they using to cut so perfectly into these stones? Yeah, here's Giorgio. The cuts from the diamond saw were the best comparison to those found on the stone blocks at Pumapunku. So we're talking about the sharpest most sophisticated cutting tool we have today. So how could a so-called primitive society have achieved such sophisticated stone carving techniques? Exactly. Right, so that that is the question, and Giorgio puts it perfectly there. And if you don't know who that is, just you, you know the guy, the memes where he has the, the giant hair. hair and he's got his yeah. hands out and it says aliens. It's he's the like guy a from Greek. Aliens. He's a Greek guy from Switzerland. I think he was born right? in. Yes, yeah, so that's why he's got that technique. How about that? Yeah. But the, so the, the, what makes Puma Punku so fascinating, and why we wanted to spend time on it first here today is, like you are there, how are they able to cut through this stone? And essentially, after doing studies on it, the only way you could really cut through it was with the sharpest tool that we know of to man to date, which is the diamond saw. They didn't have the diamond saw that no. we know of, you know, 3,000 years ago, whatever it is. When this, when this was around. And it's interesting when you look at Pumapunku because it kind of looks like almost a lost city. The way that's it's That was together. destroyed as well. I mean, yeah, all these H blocks, as they call them, right. were interlocking. Correct. And you, some of them, you can't, they're so precise. The stones are cut so precisely that they fit perfectly into the a lock and key type right. of situation with each other without using mortar. And not even a razor blade can slide between the rocks. Right. So you're talking about precision. Machine that, quality. That you can only be done, at least we thought, could only be done today with, 3D printers and lasers and computer graphics, and they're doing this before the advent of those things, so how? They don't have the wheel, they don't have anything that Stephen just said, they don't have a writing system. Right. Nothing. But meanwhile, they have these giant stones that are thousands, you know, hundreds of tons. That we can't recreate today. Right, and that's the thing. If you want to try to do this today, it's extremely hard, if not impossible, to get these perfect edges, to get the perfect squares inside that, of course, measured up with the sun and the eclipses and everything like that. So now you're mixing math with astronomy. And these perfect interlocking H-blocks, which are literally look like giant stone H's. So again, these pictures, if you haven't seen these, if you're not familiar with the stones of, of Pumapunku, Pumapunku, it will be on uh, 850wftl.com and you can go to the UAP blog and we'll have those pictures there because it's 
it just it, it makes you ask the question, how and why? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Well, the other thing is not only are they exactly cut, they're huge. Yes. They're mamma stones, man. They're of mammoth proportion. They're like 25.6 feet long, 17 feet wide, and 3.5 feet thick, and they weigh about 131 metric tons. My gosh. And due to their size, we don't know how they got them to Pumapunku because it's way high up. The quarry, apparently in Lake Titicaca, mm-hmm. pardon me, is <laughs> roughly okay. 10 kilometers away. Right. Now, there is something interesting about the stones that may indicate how they moved them and did everything. They're kind of magnetic. Mm. Here's our friend Giorgio. Check out this block right here. There's something really cool about this one. First, I wanted to show you true north on my compass, which, as you can see, this is true north. Now watch what happens. All of a sudden... True North is over there. It's in the complete opposite direction. And here, even more so, down there. Hmm, this is wild. So what is going on here? Clearly, this rock has been somehow magnetized. So was it exposed to some electromagnetic waves? Or is it like this because at some point these blocks underwent or came in contact with something strange? I mean, this whole place is bizarre. I mean, it's hard to refute. Obviously, it was, you know, investigated during Ancient Aliens, and you hear it there. There's so many questions with that. And that's the thing that I always find fascinating, Karen, when it comes to looking into all these things. I know I'm not really going to get any answers. What's going to happen is I'm just going to get more questions. That's but right. I, I love to think of the possibilities and the theories behind how how is there a true north in two different places? Why would these be magnetized? And if it was affected by some outside source, say maybe an anti-gravity technology, then how is that residue still on the stone that would be creating some type of polar opposite magnetism? It's just, it's incredible, really, when you sit down and think about it. It's baffling. It is baffling. But maybe it was some sort of a space hub for aliens to come in and land. It's possible. You know, know, and there's lots of gold in the area. Mm. And we know that aliens love gold. So we've heard. So do we, but, you know, 
Earth has a lot of gold, comparatively speaking, and it all got here via meteor or asteroid. It's not just something that occurs. It when a star explodes, then the gold flies out into the universe in these meteors, and then they hit the Earth, and that's where we get the gold deposit. That's why it's a finite source. It's true, but it's very necessary. It's such a conduit for, and it can do so many things. It's malleable. It's it's amazing. Gold is amazing. It is actually. On, on episode 11 of UAP, we'll be talking about all gold, the properties of gold. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I did it in high school. I did a term paper on gold. Did you really? I was so fascinated by it. Fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's, it does so many different things. Well, they do talk about how aliens, I mean, theories anyway, and different stories from inside sources who talk about where these alien beings, different species, one of the resources that they tried to mine on Earth, one of the reasons why they would come here is for gold. Because they use it as a resource. They did. And so, the, by, by the way, the Tiwanaku um, style of artifacts were found in Peru as well as Bolivia and as Argentina. So that, that shows their far-reaching political and economic influence in the mm. region. So maybe they had help from aliens in developing their society. We're talking, again, way before Christ. Right, right. So Which, ancient, by the way, times. Pumapunku was in the Bible, references to Pumapunku. That's true. So if it's in the Bible... It's Farilla Gorilla, okay? <laughs> How about that? Making the connections here today. <laughs> so there's there was a lot to go over there with, with uh, Puma Punku, and I know there's so much more, too. Where are we going next, Karen? The Baltic Sea Anomaly. You uh, brought this to my attention. Uh, ocean exploration team led by the Swedes found what some suggested may be a flying saucer on the sea floor. What do you think? And we'll have the image up at our blog, right. wftl.com, uh, UAP. But there's like skid marks behind a large object that suggested that it may have moved across or crashed on the sea floor. So the question is, and I think this was what, discovered 10 years ago or so in yes. the Baltic Sea? Yeah. Um, it was discovered by basically these guys who were, you know, trying to get sonar readings on the bottom of the ocean floor. Treasure hunters, really. They were looking for different things in the Baltic Sea. And they come across this weird image on their sonar. It's where perfectly they say, round, which doesn't happen in nature, It right? doesn't, right. There's no straight lines in nature, which is, you know, that means it's an indication that it's man-made or made by someone. And also, the, a circular formation doesn't happen. It's usually something jagged. It's, you know, kind of... Mis misshaped when it comes to a, a natural formation. Just look at the Grand Canyon as an example. Okay, it's it's all over the place, right. it's zigzags and everywhere. So when it comes to this, they looked at the image on their sonar and they see this thing that pops up that almost looks like. Think of the Millennium Falcon from Star Wars. Right. It kind Good of one. looks like that. So they see that and they go, "What the heck is this thing that's sitting on the bottom of the Baltic Sea right now?" So after different uh, investigations and studies on it and other pictures, there's been artist renderings of what it would look like. When you see the renderings, it looks like the Millennium Falcon. It looks like a spaceship that crashed on the bottom of the sea floor. It looks like Han Solo's ship, the Millennium Falcon from Star Wars. Why didn't you outrun him? I thought you said this thing was fast. Watch your mouth, kid. You're going to find yourself floating home. What's that flashing? We're losing it at Lecker Shield. Both trap yourselves in. I'm going to make the jump to light speed. But what's interesting is there's another thing that's nearby, another object, 
and it's a smaller disc-shaped object that's nearby, and both have a rigid tail or drag marks that are more than 400 meters, about 437 yards long, Mm. for those of you who aren't metrically inclined. Like myself. Uh, Me too. Their size is distinctive, and their shape as well, and it generates peculiar theories, like what? What is it? Well, that's the question. So there's been, like I said, the past 10 years, there have been different claims on this thing. Um, Some skeptics say, you know, when you do sample studies, which they have on some of the rock, because it's essentially a stone formation. So I don't know how it could be a spaceship if it's a stone formation, but maybe it was a model. You know, maybe it was something like you would see with a Stonehenge. Maybe it was a memorial like we would see today where something is made out of brick or stone. So it's definitely made out of stone? Right, so yeah. this this was made out of some type of stone, and they've done some studies on it, and they find that it does have some natural elements to it, but then you have people saying, well, so you, you have other geologists say, well, this is a natural formation. You have others saying, no, it can't be a natural formation for all the reasons that I and, and you just mentioned. So the, the fight goes on with this one, and I know it's hard to explain if you haven't seen the picture, but again, just think of the, the Millennium Falcon from Star Wars. It, the picture looks like that, so how would something... In stone, <laughs> be that shape sitting on they, the bottom of. I don't know that they the actually got down there and tested it because they've just used sonar images, and they potentially are miscalibrated side scan sonar images, and we perhaps need future exploration with better equipment to finally solve the mystery. I don't think they know it's stone. They've come across some different facts about it, but it's all it's all disputed. That's the thing about this one. And the interesting thing about this, I know we said ancient aliens, and this is 10 years ago, so you're probably wondering what the heck you're talking about. It's 10 years ago. It's not ancient. But this structure itself, we don't know how old it is, and we don't know how it got there. So in that aspect, yes, this could actually be an ancient structure because it's just sitting on the bottom of the Baltic Sea made out of some type of stone formation. Yeah, so it's about uh, 300 feet, so they do they could reach it, 91 meters. But the second object, Stephen, yes. is more closely resembling a lumpy eggplant or blueberry muffin sprouting what looks like an owl's head. <laughs> now that's an image. <laughs> <laughs> do I need to say more? A, a blueberry owl. I don't know. <laughs> that definitely sounds like an alien. It's, it's it's very odd. So again, you can see that picture, some different uh, renderings of it. We'll have the sonar picture on there as well as like an artist rendering of what it would look like supposedly according to the sonar picture. And make up your mind on 850WFTL.com. You search the UAP blog. Again, we have all the other podcasts on there, but we also will have these pictures up of everything that we're talking about. It definitely looks man-made. But speaking of man-made and stone, I want to talk about something that's right here in our own backyard, the Coral right. Castle. It was built in 1936, so this would be, what, right at, no, during the war. Yeah, just yeah. about, yeah. Uh, in Florida City by Edward Leedsklin, and he was only five feet tall, and he weighed 100 pounds, Stephen, so he's just widow. Tiny man, he's like a jockey. He's a tiny man. <laughs> he could have been a jockey. <laughs> now, there was some rumor that he was, see, he's from Latvia, and he apparently had this 16-year-old girlfriend, and whoa, they were going to, I know. Oh, well, well, 1936, then, you know, yeah. things are... Yeah. Unfortunately, were different. They shouldn't have been different, but well, then yeah. she was young, yeah. and he wanted to marry her. And apparently, she dumped him. So he moved to Florida and was just totally forlorn. So he decided to build the Coral Castle to pay homage to her and his love for her. So they say because there's the like this sweet sixteen device, and they believe that that's it had you know some nod to her. But anyway. There's a guy that went down there. It's in home. No, where is it? Where did I say? 
Yeah, I think it's in Homestead. Yeah, it's in Florida City Homestead area, which is way south of Miami. But as we record this, today is the uh, 29th anniversary of Hurricane Andrew, which hit about the same spot. And Coral Castle, you know, weathered it just fine. Yeah, that's it's true. Amazing. But here's David. He's this guy that visited Coral Castle. Right here we have the nine-ton gate. Originally, the slightest touch would move it, but the bearings gave out a few years back, and now you can't even budge it. Oh, yeah. That's some great engineering. Good going, Ed. Yeah, Ed, thank you. But apparently this area is on the United States National Register of Historic Places. You know, it's funny because I've never actually seen this in person, and I don't think we've, we've, we've ever mentioned it before, but Karen and I do this podcast from uh, South Florida. So we're South Florida-based here. So, again, when we say local, this is only a couple hours down south for us when you're talking about the homestead area. And, you know, maybe, maybe we should make a field trip one day, do a little I video like of Coral Castle. Yeah. I've never seen it in person. But it's it's one of those things that, again, is very fascinating because— how did he build this, right? How did he get these giant coral stones to be placed how they're placed is the question. This little five-foot, 100-pound man. How, by the way, how why is it that Florida always attracts the weirdos? I, mean, I know. Something, There's totally always a question. Florida connection. But, and he did most of his work at night, which is weird. So I told you about the girlfriend, Agnes Scuffs. So she was 10 years younger than Ed and... He referred to her as his sweet 16, and she canceled the wedding the day before the ceremony. So he was saddened, and he came here, as I said, to build this coral castle single-handedly, sculpting over 1,100 tons of coral rock as his testimony of lost love. So this, you're telling me that this guy is literally saying that he did build this. He did, and I'll explain how he did it. Really? So you? So how, how do you know, Karen, how do you know how this mysterious coral castle, with all these different shapes, by the way, if you've never seen this, there's something that looks like a crescent moon, there's a big sphere. He's able to sculpt the coral. So yeah. he's sculpting. Now, now, if you're not familiar with, with coral, it is, it is, you know, he's pretty easy to sculpt. It's well, usually something that can be moved around, of course, in small chunks. Not really, because... Ernest Hemingway has a house in Key West, and his wife wanted to build a swimming pool. And Mm -hmm. so she hired all these Cubans to dig. Key West is an island built out of coral. And so all these Cubans had to dig the pool. And Ernest Hemingway put a penny at the end of the pool because he said, my wife spent my last penny building this pool because it was so difficult to carve out the coral. Really? Yeah. So how is this little five-foot-tall, 100-pound Latvian man able to build these giant coral structures? Okay. so Please, please he, tell me. He, out, of, out of love. Out this of, is like this, the Taj Mahal of South Florida. Is it is, is, actually. So he quarried logs using tripods made out of tree trunks that stand 25 to 35 feet tall. And he could move the tripods. He had these little devices that would move the feet of the tripods. And the tripods with the hoist were able to lift the rocks. And coral limestone rock can be cut with a wood saw. I don't know if you knew that. Mm. And then he had wedges and flywheel. So the wedges he would put just the same as the Egyptians did with the pyramids. They'd pound in the wedges along right. in a line, and then you could hear it when, as you were pounding when it was going to crack off. Huh. And they would crack off. And then he was able to sculpt it with this flywheel com- 
contraption uh, and a six-foot stone chisel he had. Wow. He had weights, levers, rolling surfaces. He built a multitasking sculpting machine powered by car batteries. He had this whole bunch of car batteries, and that's how he lit it up at night because it's hot in Florida. True. So he was too hot to build in the day, so he would build at night, and he would light everything up with an aerial electric system using these multiple car batteries. And then he had a sweet 16 machine that had 16 magnets and a magnetic flywheel. And it was the key to making the wheel part of the reed stick. I don't know any of this, but he was wow. like quite the engineer. And it was self-propelled. And he had a water pumping system, horizontal and vertical, reciprocating saw, and a chipping tool. My gosh. Where did he get all of this? I know. 1936? <laughs> that's pretty impressive. That's very impressive. And again, the reason that we bring this up is not exactly ancient times. It's less than 100 years ago. It's 85 years ago. But they were talking about a guy that's maybe used ancient techniques to build something similar to what right. we see exactly. in ancient times. So is it possible that the ancient people of Pumapunku or anywhere else, you know, Egypt, and we'll get to all that stuff later on in, in part two, but is it possible that they used some of these techniques? Would it explain how, say, just for example, because we're talking about today, a place like Pumapunku could have been built. I don't know. I don't know because it, for me it's a little bit different with with Pumapunku. You're talking about something that had precise measurements. You know everything interlocked together. Uh, this, quite frankly, the stones were heavier, bigger. Um, you have all this this amazing, uh, essentially mason work on these stones where you have these perfectly cut straight lines that can only be cut with the sharpest tool known to man today. So I don't know, maybe they use some of those techniques, but there's still so many other unanswered questions when it comes to a place like Pumabunku. Yeah, in terms of Coral Castle, Ed really used magnetic current, which goes back to Pumapunku, right. with the magnetically charged rock. Right, right. And that changed polarization, but Kind of like Stonehenge, how did they get those huge blue stones from Wales? Well, in this case, how did Ed get the stones from 10 miles away from the quarry? Well, Ed had the chassis of an old Republic truck, and he had a friend with a tractor trailer. You see, okay, there you go. Number one, there's your first lesson for today. Always have a friend who has a tractor trailer because you never know when you want to build a coral castle. Yeah, Ed was simple. He didn't have a car back then, but right. he would ride his bicycle 3.5 miles into town for food and supplies. Oh, my. <laughs> but many people saw the coral carvings uh, being moved along Dixie Highway. Really? And no one ever knew what he was doing. It was hmm. like all this crap was going on behind walls at night. They're like, what's? are there aliens helping this guy? Well, that was always the question, right? Were they using some type of anti-gravity technology like we talk about, you know, possibly being used during the ancient times? Because otherwise, how else could they move these giant stones that are thousands and thousands of pounds? Now, for Ed, Mr. Lotby and Ed here, he had advantages that the ancients did not have. He may have used some ancient techniques like we spoke about there, but they didn't have tractor trailers. No. They yeah, didn't he have had pickup trucks. You know, means to move things at great distances without having to put things on a log and take you 20 years to move it a mile. 
Well, he was only a fourth grade education. He had a fourth grade education. Is that right? And he built an AC current generator. He was like a Tesla. Oh my gosh. And it remains one of, it's on display there at Coral Castle. And because there are no records from witnesses on how he built it, it's baffled engineers and scientists. And his secret of construction have also been compared to Stonehenge and the pyramids. But in 1951, he got sick. Uh-oh. And he put a sign on the door of his castle saying, going to the hospital, took a bus to Jackson Memorial in Miami and died three days later in his sleep wow. at the age of 64. Oh, my gosh. His nephew then from Michigan took over and inherited the castle in 1953. He, uh, shortly before his death, sold the castle to a family from Illinois. So it's been handed around. But it's still, like I said, it's on the National Registry of Historic Sites. And it's still a running, I guess you can say, type of tourist attraction um, where people can go and check it out and see this. Work that is, you know, well, apparently has stood the test of time. It's the Taj Mahal of South Florida. It is. Yes, it was built out of love. A, a, a For memorial 28 to years love. he worked on it. Oh my gosh, did it really take that long? So this one, you know, obviously for this, it's not as mysterious when it comes to how he did it because we have a little bit of a record anyway since this was done in modern times. It's the old tripod. Yeah. You know, he used some different techniques. Obviously, he had a truck. He was able to move things around. Now, it still took him almost 30 years to build. So, it's not like this happened, you know, in, in a couple of months and he was able to do this very quickly. And you'll, you'll understand why when you see the pictures of this place on our website, 850WFTL.com. But that being said, it's still something that goes to show how hard it must have been for these these ancient people well it's one guy who's five feet tall weighs 100 pounds and what did i say he had uh he had a fourth grade education so he's a dumb guy not really he's self-educated so you look at the pyramids and the egyptians and they use jewish slaves right right jews right as long as we're knocking everything down built by slaves why don't we knock them down i'm sorry no so the egyptians had a lot of help to build the pyramids they used slaves, and maybe they used some help from aliens. Who knows? But the Coral Castle was built by one little guy, five feet tall, weighed 100 pounds. Maybe he did have some help from the aliens. Yeah, so, I mean, that's the amazing thing, Karen, when it comes to little Ed there in, in Miami, how he built this. And then you think about, like we said, some of these more ancient people, and maybe he did use some of those techniques, but it still, to me, doesn't explain how some of these famous sites were built because you know we have, I mean we have another spot still that we haven't got to yet and we can do that here you know before we run out of time today on UAP what is what is this last spot because this is another one that just made it's it's another head scratcher well it's the Gobekli Tepe yes the civilization in Turkey that was built by a prehistoric people six thousand years before Stonehenge okay so you have the wheel invented in four BC by Fred Flintstone and Barney Rubble. <laughs> And then you have 6,000 years before Stonehenge, which was built when? Like 2,000 years B.C.? Somewhere in there. So this thing is like 11,000 years old, they think. Uh, But this German archaeologist, Klaus Schmidt. Oh, good old Klaus, yes. Klaus began excavating this mountaintop 25 years ago, and he was convinced the buildings he uncovered were unusual and unique. And as he dug, he realized... Oh, my God, this is a limestone plateau uh, near Urfa called oh. Gobekli Tepe. Schmidt discovered more than 20 circular stone enclosures. The largest was 21 meters across, a circle of stone with two elaborately carved pillars. And they have, like, things carved on them, like 
I don't know, lizards and animals and right. there was pottery, metal tools. They're 11,000 years old or more, right. making them humanity's oldest known monumental structures. And it's built not for shelter, but for some other purpose. Yeah, these would predate the pyramids by thousands of years. I mean, this would show a, a civilization, quite frankly, a somewhat advanced civilization to be able to build a stone city, if you will, with all these carvings within the stone. And again, these pictures will be up with all the other ones on 850WFTL.com. Just search UAP. All the pictures from what we talked about today will be up there. But a lot of it's still underground. Hasn't been excavated That's yet. That's true. So there's a lot of unanswered questions with this. And again, it just, you start to think to yourself, okay, the carvings, and this can go for anything too. Think about today, right? We take pictures. We see something strange. We don't understand what it is or it's something exciting. We take a picture and that's how we show it off today. Or someone will have an artist drawing, an artist rendering. Back then, they didn't have cameras, right? They didn't have a pen and paper. The only thing they can do was, all right, I got to show somebody this. I'm going to carve it in stone. They also didn't have any domesticated plants or animals. Right. Back then. (laughs) It turns the timeline upside down. It really does. And when you start looking at some of these carvings in the stone, it's like, well, why? You know, they're carving some of these, these strange images in there. And you start to think to yourself, well, what were they seeing? You know what I mean? It's not like, I don't think all these old carvings that you find in ancient times are coming from people's imagination. No, it shows complex ritual and social organization. It's usually, you know, something that's built by a civilization that's educated, has uh, tools, has wheels. Has, they know what they're doing. It's so fascinating to think at how I wish if I could go back in time, I would just want to see how these ancient civilizations were able to pull these things off. Because you're looking at whether whether it's this, whether it's, you know, uh, uh, Puma Punku or some of the things we're going to talk about in part two of our ancient alien series, like the pyramids and Stonehenge and Easter Island coming up next week. It just makes you wonder, OK, yes, we know they're there, but how they lasted this long, how did they get there? Who helped them? You're telling me these nomads banded together in one place. They carved and moved these huge T pillars and they built these circular enclosures. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. Who were they carved for? Why were they carved? I mean, there's so Some many ritual, qu- religion, what? Right. There's just, there's so many questions that. And again, when it comes to precise architecture, that's the thing that always gets me, Karen, is is the precision of some of these. And it's like, my gosh, we have trouble building some of this stuff today. How are they building this five, 6,000 years ago? It's like started a Neolithic revolution. Yeah. Um, so soon people from around the world started flocking there, of course. They're like, what the hell is this? And they have continued to excavate it to this day. So Gobekli Tepe has been added to the UNESCO World Heritage Register. Turkish tourism officials declared 2019 the year of Gobekli Tepe. And remember, you had ISIS destroying all of this very old stuff. It makes me ill to think about it. I know. In Iraq, because Iraq is the cradle of civilization. Yeah. You know, that's where Adam and Eve are buried. But, I mean, (laughs) it's just the... Work on the foundations needed to support the site's swooping fabric canopy required archaeologists to dig deeper than they ever thought. So there were several keyhole trenches. The keyhole is a really interesting shape. Mm. It's used a lot in Japan and in, in Asia as well. That's true. So uh, there's there's a lot of unanswered questions, and there's a lot of actually questions with some of uh, Japan's architecture. One of them, Karen, and this will be a little tease for our special episode 10 of UAP, which is part two of our Ancient Alien series, One of the things that we're going to talk about there 
is the little-known story of the Japanese pyramids. Oh. Yes. I like it. So a lot to come up on that next week, but it's kind of to be continued on these some of these ancient civilizations that we're talking about here today because, look, there's still excavation going on, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, who knows what we haven't found? Who knows what we don't know? We only know what we don't know. We don't know what we don't know. Oh, my. <laughs> how do we I know? You're right. How do we know what we don't know? We don't. And what's in like the big? Uh, what's that big canyon in the ocean? That big ditch in the ocean. Oh, the Mariana Trench. Yeah, the trench. Yes. What's down there? Right. That's true. I, I'm not going down there. You're talking seven miles deep. I have no idea what's it's down there. It's crushing. But these ships, what do they call them that go underwater? You. Oh, USOs. USOs. Unidentified submerged objects. They yes. the, the, they can go as deep as they want. That's true. Or anyway. so they say. We digress. Next yes. week should be a uh, real barn burner. Yeah, so much to, to still to get to here when it comes to the Ancient Alien series. Like I said, some of the more pyramid things, Japanese pyramids. What? How did that happen? So we're going to get into that next week. And how do all of these famous land sites like Easter Island and Stonehenge and the pyramids, famous landmarks, I should say, how do they all connect? There's a lot still to get to here on part two. A lot of things were built and look the same, but they were on opposite sides of the world, and they were done at the same time. With, by civilizations who... Didn't know each other. Right, then how, how could they make contact? So right. A lot of inventions are made by two different people in two different parts of the world at the same time, kind of like the information just out there in the atmosphere, in the Akasic record, in the, you know, just to be absorbed by someone who's paying attention. So we're going to look at some of these similarities it's pretty it's it's astounding it is really and so, i mean so much fascinating stuff today and next week on part two of ancient aliens so a lot to get to next week so come back for the special episode number 10 of you believe it 10. i know it's nuts the unidentified alien podcast but it was this one was fun and i can't wait to do episode 10 because still so many things unexplored here when it comes to our ancient alien series so That'll be really good. I think there's a lot of things screaming around the world that explains how and and explains past visits by little people mm. and that we're not paying attention to it. Well, we the are. The Nazca lines. Yes. I mean, all of it. It's just crazy. How did it happen? You have to ask questions. That's people right. don't want to ask questions. We, you we, get in trouble when you ask questions. We need to look at the past to get the answers for the future. And that's what we're doing here on our Ancient Aliens series on UAP, the Unidentified Alien Podcast. Hey, I said it that time. Yay! So join us next week for a special episode number 10, part two of our Ancient Aliens series, because it's uh, it's going to be a doozy. As you can see, in here, we still have a lot to cover in part two. So That's right. Download and subscribe. Yes. Look us up anywhere you get your podcast. Apple, Spotify, download, subscribe, rate us, five stars, all that good stuff. And catch all the previous episodes as well, 850WFTL.com. Just search UAP or all the previous episodes on Apple and Spotify and everything, too. So until then, Karen Curtis over there, Stephen Diener here. A lot more to come on part two next week. Talk to you then. Don't miss it.